Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Thursday, December 7th. Today, Sun reporters John Ingold and Michael Booth are talking about big news for greenhouse gas emissions in Colorado, as well as new figures on health insurance. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor. On December 5th, First Bank and Colorado Gives Foundation are proud to present Colorado Gives Day, a one-day online fundraiser for local nonprofits. Since 2010, people just like you have raised $415 million, and over $53 million was donated last year alone. To elevate giving, First Bank and other sponsors have contributed more than $1 million to amplify every donation made, which makes Colorado Gives Day easily the best day to give. So let's start a wave of generosity. Donate at coloradogivesday.org. First Bank. Banking for good. Member FDIC. Now let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1908, President Theodore Roosevelt established Wheeler National Monument in Colorado under the Antiquities Act. As Colorado's first national monument, it recognized the area's striking geological formations and historical significance. Named after Lieutenant George Wheeler, the 300-acre site featured unique stone spires and attracted visitors for its beauty and the tragic history of John Fremont's 1848 expedition. Although initial comparisons were made with Yellowstone and the Grand Canyon, Wheeler struggled to attract tourists due to its remote location and lack of easy access. Efforts to build trails and a highway did not materialize effectively. By the 1940s, visitation was minimal, and in 1950, Congress decommissioned the monument. Today, it is part of the La Garita Wilderness, having not realized the early 20th century aspirations for it as a major tourist destination. Before we continue, right now you can support the Colorado Sun in a big way during our winter membership drive. When you become a member now through December 17th, Colorado Media Project will provide a one-to-one match to double your impact for a total of $5,000 in matching funds. Join now at coloradosun.com join. Next, our feature story. Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to another edition of our Daily Sun Up podcasts. I'm John Ingold. I'm the healthcare reporter here at The Sun. And uh, Thursdays are the days that I usually get together and talk with my colleague, Michael Booth, who covers climate environment, about the latest that's going on in our beats. So, hey, Mike, how's it going? Hey, John. Good to talk to you, as always. So, you had um, an interesting bit of news this week out of northwestern Colorado, concerning a coal-fired power plant up in Craig and uh, the the prognosis for its future. So why don't you tell us about it? This is one of those enormous blowtorches of carbon dioxide and other air pollution in Colorado. There's only a handful of coal-fired power plants left in the state, thankfully, as we transition to primarily wind and solar with some backup natural gas generation. Tri-State runs uh, units of the Craig Station in Craig, Colorado, and they put out about 8 million tons of carbon dioxide in a year. And that's out of a state total of all carbon dioxide from all sources of about 125 to 130 million. So a big chunk just from one location. And what they announced last week is that they are going to be closing the unit, the last unit up there in Craig that they control two years earlier than their most recent plan as part of their electric resource plan. So instead of closing at the end of 2029, beginning of 2030, 
They're now going to be closing at the beginning, by the beginning of 2028. And so for environmental groups, very clean air advocates, very significant victory. Anytime you can move up the closure of something that's that big by two years from the current schedule, um, everybody cheers. And in the meantime, Tri-State is also announcing that it will be going for up to $970 million of federal grants that are now available and tax credits through the Inflation Reduction Act to replace that with things like wind, with solar, with massive utility-scale battery as a backup uh, over at nighttime when solar obviously isn't working. So they are going to be pursuing a real overhaul of their energy mix, which their members, their co-op members that buy power from them for all parts of the state have been encouraging them to do for a long time. So big development in air pollution world. So this is really fascinating because for a long time, Tri-State was kind of notorious for being almost hostile to renewable resources. And now here they are pushing pushing ahead of schedule. So what changed for them? Absolutely. And Mark Jaffe's done quite a bit of good reporting on that for us as well over the years. Some of the member co-ops and some of their larger ones like United Power have wanted to withdraw from Tri-State because number one, they weren't moving to renewable energy fast enough. And two, they just wanted more control over their own resources and how they generated power for their customers. So that's actually ironically, or maybe not ironically, just maybe directly a uh, uh, cause of the earlier closure. Tri-State doesn't have enough customers from the co-ops to run Craig as efficiently as they need to. And so part of the reasons they're they're closing it is because a couple of members have withdrawn. And in order to try to shore up its membership and make sure that they can even grow in the future, they are now going to be trying to make this transition to renewables faster, which is what people have been pushing them to do for a long time. Hmm. And there are, correct me here, there are three uh, coal-fired power plant units currently up in Craig owned by, by various entities. Is that right? Yes, some of them are kind of a pooled resource um, that's managed by one, but goes to different utilities in the West, buy power from them. And so they will all now, the last one will be shut by the beginning of 2028. So Craig will breathe easier, not just from carbon dioxide, but also from local pollutants like sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxide. So good news on that front as well. Speaking of uh, some of the health things that we also cross over into with climate and environment and health, you had a very successful event last night with um, open enrollment, and people should still be able to find that online on our Colorado Sun YouTube channel. John talking to people about open enrollment. The results of open enrollment, ghosts of open enrollment past, um, appear to be pretty good, John. That's one thing you've been writing about as well, that we have pushed down the uninsured rate in Colorado to record low levels. Tell us a little bit more about what you've been reporting. Yeah, absolutely. So the uninsured rate is just like it sounds. It's the percentage of people in Colorado who don't have health insurance. And typically that ends up being measured uh, every other year by something called the Colorado Health Access Survey, just kind of this gold standard survey that goes out uh, from a nonpartisan entity called the Colorado Health Institute. And uh, they just released the results of the 2023 survey, and that one found an uninsured rate of 4.6%, which is, as you said, record, record low. That's down from 6.6% in 2021. In 2011, uh, this is just before 
uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare came into place, the uninsured rate in Colorado was 15.8%. So you can see we've made tremendous strides here. And to see it at this low level was honestly really pretty shocking, but it it comes with a caveat, and and that is that it's going to be difficult to sustain for the state. And part of that is driven by changes to Medicaid. Uh, one of the things that you wrote about that drove the number down was the expansion of Medicaid to a lot more demographic corners of the state, a lot more economic levels, but that wasn't going to last forever. Uh, some of that was extended because of Obamacare, some from the pandemic. Um, th- some of those people are being forced to leave Medicaid now. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's believed to be kind of the big factor here into how we got to this low uninsured rate is that during the the worst parts of the pandemic, the federal government issued guidance that told the states and Medicaid being a joint state federal program, they told the states, um, hey, don't disenroll anyone from Medicaid. Normally, people are on Medicaid because they qualify based on their income. Um, the federal government during the pandemic said, uh, stop doing those renewals. Don't worry about it. Just let people stay on Medicaid because what we want right now is to make sure people have health insurance. And so Medicaid roles in Colorado and across the country really, really grew. Uh, Medicaid uh, ended up going above 1.7 million people here in Colorado. And then as the pandemic kind of eased and the federal government started unwinding some of these rules, it told states uh, earlier this year to start redoing these eligibility determinations. And so what we ended up kind of having when taking a snapshot of this uninsured rate is that we probably mostly got it before these eligibility redeterminations started happening again. That's why you ended up seeing that really low number. Now we're looking at potentially uh, 200,000, 300,000 people uh, uh, starting in spring, early summer and continuing through next spring, early summer potentially uh, finding out that they're no longer eligible to keep their Medicaid coverage, and they're going to need to go out and find new coverage. And the question then becomes if people actually are going to be able to find that new coverage or whether they're going to become uninsured and that uninsured rate will pop back up. So that's why there's some question about uh, whether this is a sustainable record about, but certainly for the moment, the number looks incredible. So even with the great number that was part of the snapshot, maybe a little bit um, almost stale now in terms of numbers, but still really good, there are still pockets that 4% plus is an average. And so there are pockets of the state that aren't doing so well, whether it's geographic pockets or demographic pockets. Talk a little bit about where they still need to do better. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you followed health insurance policy in Colorado, you've known for a long time that Communities uh, that tend to be up in the mountains, resort communities, often really struggle with their uninsured rate. And uh, that continued uh, this year. So there's a health statistical region that includes pretty much all the the major resort communities. We're talking Summit, Grand, Eagle, Pitkin, and Garfield counties. And they had uh, an uninsured rate that was estimated at around 12%, which was actually an increase over the 2021 survey. Uh, that had been 10% in 2021, now up to 12% uh, in 2023. So that remains uh, an area where it's really difficult. One thing to note is contributing to this uninsured rate would be uh, people who are in the country, they're immigrants in the country, and they don't have uh, legal documentation. And uh, 
they are then not eligible for subsidies. They, they could buy insurance if they can afford it, but a lot of times they're not going to be able to benefit from some of the federal programs that help people buy health insurance. So the state has set up a program called OmniSalude, which is sort of a no questions asked. Uh, you know, if you are an immigrant who's in the country uh, without legal status, uh, you are uh, eligible to apply for this OmniSalude program that it can provide uh, state level subsidies, subsidies that come out of the state government's budget, not the federal government's budget. And that can help you afford insurance. The um, the limitation with OmniSalute is that there's only a certain number of subsidized spaces that are available. This year it was 11,000 and those were filled up within uh, probably about a day. So uh, need, may need to look at how to expand that program or get programs like it to help catch some of the people who are going to be falling off of Medicaid. And just want to remind listeners again, this is open enrollment for everybody who's listening, um, who has employer-covered insurance and has to choose a plan or is going on the exchange or is going off the exchange for an individual plan. Uh, anybody who's looking to get one of the federal subsidies, the advanced premium tax credit. And the guide, the best guide for answering your questions on that is now going to be available on our Colorado Sun YouTube channel from an event that John and health experts did this week, uh, answering your questions and talking about open enrollment. So yeah, absolutely. It's important to keep in mind the the deadlines here. Uh, if you are shopping for insurance on your own, your deadline is December 15th to buy coverage that kicks in on January 1st. Uh, if you don't need coverage right on January 1st, you can buy all the way uh, into the new year. Uh, if you happen to be uh, still um, trying to make up your mind on, on Medicare coverage, if you're eligible for Medicare and you need to make a decision there, uh, today is your last day, December 7th. So I uh, definitely want to get to it there. Great. Well, thanks for all your reporting, John. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Good talking to you. We will talk to you all again next week on our Temperature Podcast on Thursdays. And make sure you read or consider subscribing to the Temperature Newsletter on Wednesdays. Thanks, everybody. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. The number of Venezuelan immigrants seeking refuge in Denver has swelled to 30,000, further straining the city's ability to provide aid. The Denver Department of Human Services is using five hotels to house 2,700 migrants, leaving many others to shelter in tent encampments. Governor Jared Polis and Denver Mayor Mike Johnston have been asking the federal government to make it easier for migrants to get work permits and for more federal aid. They're also calling out Texas Governor Greg Abbott for chartering buses to send migrants to Denver, often in the middle of the night and without notice. A new report shows innovation schools across Colorado are largely failing to ensure their students meet grade-level benchmarks in subjects like math and English, with learning outcomes, quote, truly subpar in some areas. Innovation schools are public schools that have greater control than traditional public schools over major components of education, such as staffing, curriculum, class scheduling, and teacher evaluations. The nonprofit Keystone Policy Center looked at test results from more than 100 such institutions that raised questions about their effectiveness. Excel Energy has a vision for Colorado's clean energy future, one that is both expensive with a $15 billion price tag and unparalleled in its sweep. An electric resource plan the utility sent to the Colorado Public Utilities Commission in September calls for a significant increase in generation from wind and solar and nearly $3 billion in new transmission lines. 
The proposal is almost twice as expensive as an earlier plan approved by the PUC and endorsed by consumer, environmental, labor, and business groups. The PUC begins deliberations on the new plan this week and is slated to make a decision before the end of the year. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.